When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Hello, Seattle. We're coming to see you and Frazier. Yep, we're going to come see you guys in Frazier on January 16th. That's a Thursday night, which is the official beginning of the weekend in Seattle, as we all know. And we're going to be there at our beloved Moore Theater, our home in Seattle for Stuff You Should Know. That's right, everybody. January 16th. Come out and see us. Tickets go on sale this Friday, which is November 8th. And you can get all the information about tickets at sysklive.com or just go to the Moore's website as well. We'll see you guys in January. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And there is uh, Grandmaster Dave over there. <laughs> Dave C. The Coost. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he's getting all sorts of great, great nicknames. You got any more? Um, no, no, that's it for now. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> I think, what was that, two or three? That was like two and a half at best. Uh, you know what I did this morning for a little while? <laughs> yes, I do. You trained hard. <laughs> no, I went through and read uh, some of our negative, recent negative reviews on iTunes. Oh, no. I hadn't done that in a while. Yeah, that's because it's mentally unhealthy. <laughs> I don't mind. I liter- It's kind of good comedy for me mm-hmm. because I'm I'm fairly secure in year 11 mm-hmm. <laughs> that we're doing okay. Mm-hmm. But uh, it is always funny. Like most of them were uh, had to do with politics. Yeah. Uh, but some of them were just like, these guys are so boring and stupid. I can't right. believe how boring and stupid they are. <laughs> well, I mean, they kind of... Hit it on the head with that one. Yeah, it was good. And then the ones that kill me are the ones that are like they're clearly reading Wikipedia and they're, and Reddit right. is their number one source. And I'm like, right. I've literally never been to Reddit in my life. Yeah. <laughs> and I like Reddit, but I don't get our ideas from it. Too. Oh, man. It's always so fun. Sure. Well, I'm glad that you did that for both of us and you distilled it into like a friendly, affable version. <laughs> yeah. Sure. These, guys, these guys are so dumb and boring. <laughs> that was a refrain, dumb and boring. Right. It was like, interesting. Mm-hmm. We're sort of known for being funny and smart, but 
I guess that's in the eye of the uh, list or the ear of the listener. It totally is. I mean, like we've got some really hardcore fans. We have some casual fans. We have people that like us. We have people that are just like, yeah, I like what they're doing. Don't necessarily like those guys. It doesn't matter. As long as there's people out there liking what we do. Sure. Of course, there's going to be people out there who dislike what we do. And because it's the internet, they're going to vehemently dislike it. But it, it doesn't mean anything. It's fine. They don't have to listen. Yeah. Almost like any other piece of art or culture or media mm-hmm. you would put out in the world. That's right. We're basically like an upside-down urinal in a museum. <laughs> have you have you literally seen that? Yeah, that was like the first piece of Dada art, I believe. Uh, is that what that's called, Dada? Urinal. Dada, yeah. Is it, does Dada mean, um, what does that mean exactly? I think it was purposefully mean, purpose, purpose, yeah, purposefully. That's right. Mm-hmm. That word for a second just suddenly didn't sound right. That's because you're dumb. <laughs> right, and boring. <laughs> um, I think it's a purposefully un um, meaningless word. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I guess like a toilet. If you're into that kind down. of thing, other people might find that dumb and boring. Interesting. Yeah, it's a a urinal that was upside down and then signed by the artist. I can't remember who it was. Was it yeah. signed in urine? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it was signed in uh, maybe paint or something like that. I can't remember. Well, now we're doing one of the third thing that people complain about, uh-huh. which is not getting to the point quickly enough. I think you could call it moseying. Although it's funny as well in those reviews, people are like, they spend, they literally spend 20 minutes talking nonsense. <laughs> like, man, I, it's what the deal is, is five minutes seems like 20 because we're dumb and boring. Sure, right, right. But but as anybody <laughs> who really appreciates Stuff You Should Know knows, that it's a, it's a contest of endurance. <laughs> To see who will get to the topic first? Exactly. Or just to, just to make it through an episode. It's very much, Chuck, if you ask me, like an Ironman triathlon. You lose. <laughs> Anybody who completes an episode, though, is an SYSK fan. Agreed. That's kind of how it works. And it's just like the way that it is with the Ironman triathlon, too. If you complete it, you're an Ironman. If you complete it within the required amount of time. Uh, you're right. You're right. Yes, there are rules. There are limitations. Like, I guess the same thing goes with us. If you complete the episode within 17 hours of <laughs> beginning it, then you you win. Well, we did an episode on marathons um, almost one year ago. Oh, really? A little more. October 9th, 2018. Okay. And um, we did a lot of joking about marathons and how we're not into running those. Mm-hmm. So we should define here in minute 21 what an Ironman race is. Right. Because an Ironman race is a 2.4 mile swim. Okay. That's 3.9 kilometers. That's a lot. And then that's a lot of swimming. Then they say, all right, get out of the water, everybody. Now go ride your bike 112 miles. Right. Like two days later though, right? No, right afterward. What? (laughs) 180.3 kilometers. And then... When you're done with that, they say, all right, who wants to run a marathon? Mm -hmm. And then people like us, or most people, I think, in the world, probably 99% of the people in the world think, Mm -hmm. what is wrong with you people? Yeah, and not a a half marathon, quarter marathon, tenth of a marathon, a full 26.2-mile marathon, more than 42 kilometers on – and all of this, by the way, um, if you're at the World Championships, is taking place in the lava fields of Kona, Hawaii. Where it's very hot. Yeah, good coffee, too. It is okay, I guess. I'm not huge on Kona coffee. Oh, really? No. Okay. Did you hear there was once a coffee heist 
in Hawaii where somebody somehow stole something like $2 million worth, of either a million or $2 million worth of Kona coffee beans. That sounds like a short stuff. It does. Maybe we should do that sometime. The Great Kona Coffee Heist? <laughs> yep. There's your title. Of all six. <laughs> is that when it was? I don't know, but it sounded pretty good. Oh, okay. That's the other big complaint on iTunes is that we just make up facts. <laughs> That's true. Right. So I think you kind of laid it out there. Three big reasons why you and I will never do uh, Ironman triathlon. The swimming, the biking, and the running. That's right. <laughs> That's right. But all of them combined, too. That's why if you put all of them together, you understand why the Ironman has this kind of aura of just just awe among athletes. Because the people who participate in these are the fittest of the fit. The, yeah. They have the, the greatest endurance of any other athlete around, especially ones who, who make it to the championships in Hawaii. Um, and it has like kind of a mystique. And here's the thing. Uh, the term Ironman is uh, gender neutral. Mm-hmm. So wherever you fall on the gender spectrum yeah, and you complete the race, that's an important part of this. Well, yeah. You will be called an Ironman. Yep. And I, I guess if you are collective, you have a bunch of people who have completed an Ironman race, they would be called Iron Men. But if you're talking about different Ironman races collectively, because they have them all over the world yeah. now, I believe they have 260 races a year in 44 different countries that are official Ironman races. Mm-hmm. Um, you would call those Ironmans. That's right. I love the little <laughs> glossary in this yeah. article. Up next, we'll talk about whether you call your desktop mouse a mice or a meese. <laughs> <laughs> so the Ironman race is, uh, we're going to get into some of the history here. It's a, it's a triathlon. Right. And there, there were triathlons before the Ironman competition. Yeah, I think starting a few years before the first Ironman. So it actually kind of caught hold pretty quick. But uh, uh, technically, um, a triathlon can be any three sports. Mm-hmm. But when you say triathlon, and then you follow that up with, yeah, I'm going to play some basketball, toss the football around, and then maybe take a few swings with a tennis racket. Right. You'd be like, that's three three disparate sports. What's yeah. wrong with you? People are going to say you're you're weird because when you hear triathlon uh, in this new, uh, not new, but I guess fairly new since the 70s, mm-hmm. you're really talking about swimming, cycling, and running. Right. Not necessarily in that order or whatever, but as long as those three are together, you're, that's a triathlon. And the first triathlon, from what we understand, came out of San Diego, actually, from the San Diego Track Club, who put the first one together in 1974. And it just so happened that in that, in that first uh, triathlon in 1974, there was a guy named John Collins, who was an officer in the Navy, who said, hey, this is kind of fun. And ended up being stationed uh, from San, San Diego to Hawaii. That's and rough. In, yeah, really, a what a move. terrible life. <laughs> he was just chasing UFOs in San Diego. Next thing you know, he's sipping Mai Tais on the beach in Honolulu. <laughs> but we do thank him for his service. Sure. So um, John Collins ends up in Hawaii. He's like, hey, hey, you you uh, rubes, you hicks, I've got a great idea. It's going to blow your, blow your heads off. You ready? A triathlon. And everyone said, what's that? Yeah, because Hawaii already had, it had it going except not all combined. It had endurance sports. So there was obviously always marathons, the Honolulu Marathon. Sure. There was something called the Waikiki Rough Water Swim. Have you ever been to Waikiki? I've never been to Hawaii, man. Oh, man, you got to go. It's really a wonderful place. It's, uh, Emily and I were talking about going away for a birthday weekend and just, you can't do Hawaii in a weekend from Atlanta. No, it's a long, it's, it's a little too long, yeah. 
Savannah is much more realistic. Sure. It's the Hawaii of the Southeast. <laughs> that's right. That's what, that's what everyone in Savannah will tell you. Uh, and then they had something called the Around Oahu Bike Ride. Mm-hmm. And so as at endurance athletes like to do, and all athletes, I like to get together and tease each other about who's the best athlete. Mm-hmm. Uh, the NASCAR guys are always there saying, we're athletes too. <laughs> sure, right. And they always get tickled by the football guys, like, stop, stop. You're not really athletes. You drive a car. So I think my brother and I actually had one of our rare arguments about uh, NASCAR guys being athletes. It's better than that stupid thing about a hot dog being a sandwich or not. <laughs> well, and when I say argument, as much as my brother and I get into arguments, which is me saying, hey, I'm not into NASCAR, but these guys are athletes. My brother saying, nah, I don't buy it. And then we say, let's go play ping pong. Yeah, you guys are like, well, this is getting out of hand. Peace, brother. <laughs> <laughs> let's reconcile with some ping pong. So, uh, Collins, all this arguing was going on about who was the most fit. And uh, he said, you know what? Let's, let's throw all these together, like you said. We'll call it the Iron Man. And in 1978, there were 12 finishers. I'm not sure how many people entered that race, but 12 people finished it and were named Iron Men. Right, and they all got little handmade uh, iron um, statuettes or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah. It was it was kind of a thing. And that first Iron Man, it was really crazy. Like one guy ran out of water, so everybody had to have their own support staff with with them, like supplying a water and stuff like that. Oh, before they had people along the route. Yes, and one guy named Dunbar. I can't remember his first name, but he was in the first competition. They just like, called him Dunbar. But you, probably he ran out, or his support staff ran out of water. So he, toward the end of the marathon, he he had nothing to drink but Budweiser. Shut up! No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> John Collins, who was the guy who brought it to Hawaii, he stopped for a bowl of chili at one point wow. to to refuel. Yeah, it was nuts. But it was just basically like some some crazy athletic military guys just having fun. A bowl of chili, huh? A bowl of chili. Like, go ahead is, and draft behind me. I dare you. I, right, exactly. I mean, <laughs> you just eat it and it just passed right through your oh, mouth goodness. and out of your rectum, right yeah. onto the street oh, in Oahu. God. So, um. The, but this first one, was, it was fun. It was crazy. But there's this um, ongoing dispute to this day that I read, I think, uh, in an article in the New York Times that is that said that um, in the rule book, if you ran in that first or you participated in that first Ironman competition, part of the entry fee was agreeing to sign on to be the organizing committee for the Ironman. Hmm. And um, they put that in there to basically say, like, if you sue – you're actually suing yourself too. So uh-huh. you probably don't want to sue if you get injured or fall over, or drop dead or something. Interesting. Um, but some people, including Dunbar, have interpreted that to mean that they were part owners uh. of Iron Man, <laughs> which has now become like a billion dollar global franchise. Sure. And the people in charge are like, no, you, you don't have anything to do with that. You know, like, you can get sued, but you can't reap the benefits. <laughs> right, exactly. But it was, it was a pretty interesting article. I can't remember what it was called, but it's, it's worth looking up. Wow. That is interesting. I thought so, too. So uh, soon after this, it started to become a a media event in that um, we've talked before about the greatest uh, show, sports show in the history of sports shows, which was ABC's Wide World of Sports. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. I never really watched it. I was always like, this means cartoons are over for this Saturday. (laughs) Man, I loved it. I mean, that's where, you know, as a kid in the 80s, you got introduced to ski jumping and curling and iron manning and... But that was sort of the deal if you never watched that show is it was the wide world of sports so that it wasn't just – it was 
you know, lumberjack competitions and all these sort of <laughs> to the to the side sports that you had never heard of before. It was pretty cool. Fringe sports. Yeah. Uh, sports Illustrated started covering it, which was a big deal. Mm-hmm. That was that really gave it a shot in the arm because that was 1979, the oh, second yeah. the second one. And Sports Illustrated did like a 10-page spread on it, basically, and really gathered attention for it. And they're still one of the top sports rags, but back then, they weren't the only one, but they were sort of the name in sports writing. For sure. So it was a big deal. I had a subscription for many, many, many years. Mm-hmm. And then came the swimsuit issue, and you're like, no, this has nothing to do with sports. I looked forward to that so often as a young church boy. Sure. (laughs) Ladies in their bathing suits. (laughs) What was better than that, as far as I knew? It's sports. So uh, I remember my first issue, too, still. It was uh, Muhammad Ali was on the cover, believe it or not. Of the swimsuit issue? (laughs) (laughs) Was it the one where he's standing over? Is it Joe Frazier? No, 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 no. This was after that. This was in his sort of sad last comeback attempt. Uh, I, I'm not familiar with that. Yeah, when he was older, he he you know he kind of boxed beyond his prime. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, because I'm not 70 years old. You realize? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so I, I, <laughs> I just did the math. And I was like, oh, I hope Chuck likes this one pass by. But no. you mean Joe Frazier? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was before my time. But yeah, yeah just yeah. for some reason, that always sticks out is. The cover said, uh, look who's back, Muhammad Ali, and then parentheses, with mustache. <laughs> I want to say, I want to say here, everybody, Chuck does not have this cover in front of him right now. Oh, this no, no. is from memory. Totally from memory. It's impressive. I saved all those for many years, and then I think my mom finally got rid of them. I had just an attic full of Sports Illustrated. Yeah. Know what you mean. But I saved the bathing suit issues. Sure. <laughs> Your mom Brinkley. never saw those. <laughs> You had like a, 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 a air vent cover that you could just pull off of the wall. <laughs> were all in yeah, there. I had a false floor under That's my right. bed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So back to the event. Uh, oh, yeah. It's being covered by the media. And with within just a few years after that, people started entering the race more and more. People saw it on TV. And they're like, hey, I'm an extreme athlete. Uh, I'm going to get into this. And it grew to the point where they moved it finally in 1981 to its uh, – It's now home, forever home in Kona, Hawaii, if you're Mm -hmm. talking the world championship. Right. And can we talk for a second about Julie Moss here? Sure. Because she pretty much single-handedly launched Iron Man into the status, the legendary status that it has today. Yeah. Very soon after it was originated. She was a um, kinesiology student at, um, I think, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Uh huh. Did I say that right? I don't know. You just sound so sure of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you lived in California, so I didn't know if I just butchered oh, it or San, not. Oh, San Luis Obispo, sure. I said that. That's yeah. what I said. Yeah. Okay, well, anyway, she was a kinesiology student. That part's Damn. wrong. <laughs> no, it's not. I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, and her dissertation was participating in the, the Ironman um, competition in 1982 in Hawaii. And so she went and she ran, and she could not believe it, but all of a sudden she's in front. She's in the lead. She's barely trained for this thing. She'd done some running before, and now all of a sudden she's winning the fourth ever Ironman competition. And um, as she got, like, within something like 40 yards or some ridiculously short distance from the finish line, after she'd swam, biked, and run almost an entire marathon, her body gave out. Yeah, man. And she, I remember this. 
She, you did on the wide world of sports. It was oh, yeah. being covered on the wide world of sports. 20 million people were watching, and Julie Moss collapsed and then crawled across the finish line. To finish and, second. To finish second. She was lapped. And I think the winner, um, her name was... Um, Kathleen McCartney. Kathleen McCartney was, was, had to be told that she just won. She didn't realize what had just happened. She's like, you mean that person I just stepped on <laughs> <laughs> was a runner? My, shoe, my waffle print shoe mark <laughs> is on their back still. Um, but Julie Moss like, just became just a, a, an amazingly like celebrated sports figure overnight from showing this kind of grit and determination. And it became like kind of a hallmark of the Ironman competition that people would collapse and then crawl over the finish finish line because it it required that much of the human body, but also because they were that determined to reach that goal. And um, that was it for the Ironman. It just became hugely popular overnight. You were talking about how how much participation grew. I saw that... um, in 1982, the year Julie Moss entered, there were 60,000 people who entered 400 triathlons, not necessarily Ironman right. competitions. In three years, 1.1 million people wow. competed in 2,100 triathlons by 1985. So she definitely boosted the popularity a tad bit. Well, why don't we take a break and we'll come back and talk a little bit about the science of why um, people other than Julie Moss pass out right when they get to the finish line. Does that sound good? Yes. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. All right, so you sent me a little article, um, why endurance athletes um, struggle there at the very end, aside from the obvious, that what they're doing is super hard. But uh, it turns out that it's, uh, it's overheating largely, isn't it? So there's a great debate. Like either they run out of fuel, like they 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 basically just use up all of their stores of energy, and they just their body can't go on any longer. Yeah. Or um, they have overheated, 
is that this is what this article is basically saying in Outside Magazine. The other big one is that the lactic acid, right, or in particular the hydrogen ions, have built up in the muscle and are causing cramping and everything going haywire. But this guy, Brent Ruby, who's a physiologist at uh, University of Montana, he's basically saying, no, all of it comes down to overheating. And at this point, like your body enters a shutdown mode where your brain is like, okay, lights out. I'm not going to let you lift your foot any longer. Like you physically can't do that with your muscle because I'm not allowing it. Yeah, because the brain, uh, he says, is is sending you these messages a lot before mm-hmm. this happens. Right. Like stop. Stop doing what you're doing. Yeah. You better stop. You better stop. If you don't stop, I'm going to stop for you. Uh, and this is not necessarily dehydration either. Right. Like he said you can be plenty hydrated and drinking tons of water. Um, but, you know, the, the heat at some of these Ironmans is pretty punishing. And especially, he said, after you've done the swimming event, which can keep the temperature down. Yeah. Obviously, because the water. And then the cycling, where you've got a lot more breeze generally, mm-hmm. especially coming out of swimming. So your perspiration is, is doing a better job of cooling you off. Yeah, but when you get to that marathon – that, that final leg, it can be pretty brutal. And eventually your body, after sending all those messages, just says, you're not listening to me, so we're, we're going down. Right, and like your, your, your movements become uncoordinated. You're, like your actual brain might start malfunctioning as well, where it just you're not thinking clearly any longer. You become distracted. Like if you've ever watched, it's actually, it's, it's really weird to watch these things, but there's plenty of like finish line footage from Ironman competitions of, of these, some of, the mo- some of the fittest athletes on the planet mm-hmm. collapsing before the finish line. Like collapsing after the finish line is one thing. Collapsing before they get to the finish line because their bodies, their brains have said, I'm, this is it, I'm done. You, you haven't listened, so I'm just taking charge here and you can't, I'm not letting you move any longer because you need to cool down. Yeah, I wonder too if anyone has explored the mental, um, like where, like when you see the finish line, if something mm. happens in your brain, mm. like physically seeing it with your eyeballs, kind of like if you have to, <laughs> if you have to poop really bad. Or that brain bladder connection we talked about. Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, bladder or poop, you mm-hmm. know, uh, you're, you're holding it, you're holding it. And then when your hand touches the doorknob to your house <laughs> or your apartment, that is when some uh, release happens in your brain or something. I wonder if that happens when you see that finish line. You know, Chuck, you're not supposed to poop your pants when you touch a doorknob. <laughs> it's unusual. Well, there have been triathletes, too, uh, and endurance athletes that have pooped their, their pants near the finish line. It's very sad. Yeah, I think we talked about that in marathons, that there's a lot of pants pooping yeah. going on. But, yeah, I th- I'm sure that seeing that finish line has some sort of effect because there's also there's a documented effect called the post-Ironman blues where— People people will enter like a state of depression for a couple of weeks following completing an Ironman. Yeah. And they they actually can't quite explain it. They think that it's probably related to having set such a lofty goal. Right. That once you achieve it, like life kind of loses its luster for a little while. Other people think that your brain is sending you into a depression so that you have no will to get out there and try that again anytime yeah, soon. Right. Both of them make a, a lot of sense, and maybe it's a combination of the two. Interesting. Yeah. So Iron Man, uh, Iron Man's right started growing and growing. Uh, the World Championship in Kona, and they have championships. We should point out in on most continents, um, 
they have their own championship, like the African Championship, South American, European. Right, but the World Championship is the Hawaii one. Yeah, that's still the one in Kona. And the entries there are limited, and generally, unless you win uh, the lottery, which is only about 500 people, you have earned your way in by qualifying in another sanctioned Ironman event. Right, and I actually saw that they did away with the lottery. Oh, 2000, really? Yeah, 2015 was the last year they did it, and it was a really great thing because you could pay 50 bucks to enter a lottery and to win a slot. Five hundred. There were 500 slots, like you said, and if you because you might not qualify because to qualify for Hawaii, you literally have to be one of the most fittest, most well-trained athletes on the planet. Mm-hmm. We're talking uh, out of you know tens of thousands of of people who are like possibly able to reach this state you're you're 1500 of those people this lottery gave people who wanted to give it a try but weren't professional endurance athletes a chance to get in there so it was a great program but at the same time the federal government said actually what you're doing is running an illegal gambling operation we want you to shut it down oh interesting so ironman had to had to stop doing huh. the lottery now they have something called a legacy program which says that if you've competed or completed i believe in 12 ironman competitions that aren't the championship, you um, can apply to get a legacy slot where they're basically saying, like, this is what we're trying to encourage. So come on and try your hand at the world championships. So they renamed the lottery the legacy. But I think the difference is that you don't pay for that opportunity. No, I got you. I think. Uh, In 1994, they eventually added um, triathlons to the Olympics. uh, And we'll get to different distances. The Certainly don't want to knock Olympic triathletes, but... No, but I could complete one. It's nothing like the Ironman, <laughs> let's just say that. It's it's much shorter. It's smaller for sure. But uh, if you're talking Ironman, it starts out with a swimming leg. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we said earlier, that's the 2.4-mile swim. And how how do you pronounce that? Well, I Kalua? think in Hawaiian you say all of the all of the vowels. Kaialua? I think so. Okay. Uh, Kaialua Kona Bay. Yeah, I think you just nailed it, man. We'll see. Okay. And uh, it depends on the water temperature, whether or not you're allowed to wear a wetsuit. Mm-hmm. But um, the wetsuit gives you a little bit of a buoyancy advantage. So I think the uh, – well, I'm not going to get in the head of triathletes. But if it was me, <laughs> I would hope for a little bit colder water so I could wear my wetsuit. Plus it would keep you cooler too. Right. But if the water is warmer, then you don't need the wetsuit. You know what I mean? Right, you can just swim naked, I think is what you're saying. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. So, <laughs> the I, I was reading about, you know, um, injuries and deaths, which we'll talk about a little more. But the swim leg sounds like it would be not the easiest, but maybe the most comfortable because you're in the water and, yeah, you can sweat while you're swimming and all of that. But at least you're staying cool. But supposedly something like they, somebody did a study of um, deaths between, I think, 1985 and 2016 in triathlons, not mm-hmm. just Ironman. And they found that of 135 deaths, sudden deaths and heart attacks and stuff, 90 of those took place in the swim leg. Wow. And they think possibly, possibly, that people are so amped up right. about participating in this Ironman that once they start exercising in the water, they just have a heart attack. And these are people who are in the fittest yeah. possible state they can be in, and they're still dying of heart attacks at like age 40 or something like that. Well, they stagger the beginning, obviously, uh, like most uh, races and foot races. Um, they stagger them in the water because you can't just throw all those people in the ocean at once. 
Um, your pros are going to start out first, again, like most road races, uh, foot races. But uh, if you're non-professional, well, I guess everyone in there is professional now then, is what you're basically saying, right? Almost everybody, yeah. Okay. Uh, and then you finish the swimming leg, hopefully, unless you <laughs> die of a heart attack. Right. And then you go to what's called T1, the first transition area. Mm-hmm. And that's where, where you, you change your clothes and you put on your clothes for the next thing, mm-hmm. uh, which in this case is biking. Uh, they try to make it where it's a loop, so there's only one transition area. So right. you, you finish the bike race where you started, and that's where you will also start the run. Right. But I love this one line in the article here. I did too. It it's stood out to me as well. <laughs> how stuff works. Racers must find their bike in rows of racks with hundreds of other bikes. That sounds like part of the game almost, the way it's written. Right. <laughs> right. And they call the transition period or the transition point where if you can't find your bike, the TS point. No, they don't. No. <laughs> No. Don't you remember where you put your bike, or did they mix them up? Is that part of the fun? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I put it here, man. I put it here. I don't know. Surely somebody's accidentally taken somebody's bike. So, I mean, but how would you identify who took your bike so you could take their bike? Like, you'd just be, I don't know how you would do that, because it would be a bad jam if somebody took your bike, because you're apparently the bike leg is where you're doing the most other stuff, like eating refueling, that kind of stuff. Oh, interesting. So you probably have a significant amount of, like, calories that you're planning on consuming on your bike right. that you've been training to to eat during this race all this time. So if somebody takes your bike, they're taking more than just your bike. They're taking your fuel. That's it, true. It, it'd be a big deal, I'm sure. So I don't know how they how they keep up with that kind of thing and prevent that from happening. And that's where you have your Netflix queued up on your phone that's mounted on the front of your bike. That's right. So you can watch a couple of movies. Yep. That's a lot of a lot of miles, hundred plus miles. Yeah, and I saw it's something like uh, the average uh, completion time for this bike leg is something like six hours. Although they give you ten. Yeah, I that's believe. that's the bulk of the Ironman is the biking part. Yeah, because it's a hundred something miles. <laughs> yeah, what was it, one hundred and twelve? Yeah, I'm I'm fine with a hundred something because I'll never come even <laughs> remotely close to it. Uh, and depending on what Ironman course you're on, uh, or what triathlon you're you're participating in mm-hmm. uh, the train's going to be a um, little worse or better depending on where you are apparently in Kona it's pretty rough because of the winds right and they can just flat knock you off of a bike well plus you're also going through active lava fields so the winds are blowing like a furnace of hot air onto you while you're biking jeez yeah it's brutal it's a terrible thing to do like, you have to be insane to try this kind of thing, especially the championships. Yeah. So, like we mentioned, you do have 17 hours to finish. And after that, even if you finish, which is a great accomplishment, you're not dubbed an Iron Man, which is kind of sad. So, there, so, there's something called um, the midnight finish. Uh-huh. Where people who've completed the run and, like, you know, started to feel sore and have eaten and started drinking beer and everything afterward. Um, probably just Michelob Ultra, though, I'm sure. <laughs> um, they will go around midnight to see the very last people coming oh, through. Oh, man, that's great. And it's supposed to be super inspirational because these are people who, uh, as far as the Ironman site describes it, they're, like, just getting to the Ironman to compete has probably been a tremendous amount of... Um, has really been a struggle. And so these people are finishing one way or another. So I guess uh, people who've already finished are there to kind of cheer them on. That's awesome. Uh, And we'll talk more about this later, but there are people with prosthetic limbs and uh, uh, wheelchair athletes Mm -hmm. that complete this stuff. And this one, well, we'll talk about the father and son team, which is just incredible. Yeah. But we're going to save that. 
Right. So, so people stick around. Yes. Through the dumb and boring. <laughs> right. So And the moseying. That's right. Uh, you are not allowed to draft, uh, like in some bike races, uh, drafting, just like NASCAR, uh, you can get behind a another biker and cut down on wind resistance. But in most of the Ironman uh, man competitions, that is not allowed. No. And there was one case in 86 where a race winner, Patricia uh, Puntaus, was disqualified for drafting. Is that how you say your name? Puntaus? I want to say like Pontius, like Pontius Pilate, but that's not right. P-U-N-T-O-U-S. Yeah, I think you got it. I'm just going to go with the, the standard Puntaus. I'm going to go with the Hawaiian pronunciation and say Puntaus. Maybe Punchus. Oh, that's good. Punchus? Punchus. <laughs> I like that the most so far. Uh, and then you can win money. Um, I, I looked up the world championships, and I think there's like a a $650,000 total purse. Right. And it looks like, is it one hundred and fifty grand for each uh, male and female winner? Uh, yeah, somewhere around there, something like 115 or 150 or something like that. But I mean, like if you are, you know, a, a high, um, high end elite high end. Tri- triathlete. <laughs> yeah. High ranking? Yeah. Yes. I, whatever you want to call it. If you're like the best of the best, you can make a decent living doing this. And this is like what you want to do anyway. So you can certainly make enough to, you know, make it from triathlon to triathlon. You're like you... If you're not the, the literally the best of the best, you're not go, ever going to get rich off of it. But if you are up there, and especially if you're visible and people like you, in addition to the um, purses that you'll win for winning these triathlons, um, you will also get sponsorships as sure. well. So you can make a pretty decent living being uh, an elite triathlete. But I saw, for example, there's this guy right now, um, Jan Frodeno. He is from Germany, and he is... As good as it, as they've ever come, as far as male competitors go. Yeah. And in 2015, from purses, from winning events, over five events, he made $213,000, which is a pretty decent living yeah. for competing in five Ironmen. It's not bad. Or Ironmans. Um, the guy who made the most that year from winnings was a guy named Javier Gomez. He won 287000 which is really even better, but he had to compete in 14 Ironmans. To, to make that. So I think the real cheese is in the sponsorship. Yeah, and I think 14, like, I don't think they recommend you do that many. Like no. More than one a month is not recommended. But we need to talk about this guy named James Lawrence, then, if we're talking about doing that. You ready? How many has he done? In 2015, my friend, James Lawrence, also known as the Iron Cowboy. 25. Com- competed in 50 Ironmans <laughs> in 50 wow. states in 50 days. Wow. Over the course of 50 consecutive days, he competed in 50 Ironmans. An Ironman a day for 50 days. They should just call him the ultimate Ironman and just shut everything else down. They did. They're not going to shut it down because, again, it's pretty lucrative. But right. they they did. They just basically said there's no, no one could ever top that. That's insane. Like, the fact that he's still alive is really impressive. That is amazing. Yeah. He was eating like six to 7,000 calories. I'm sorry, seven to 8,000 calories a day. Uh, every morning, he said his toenails were falling off. Um, like he was, like, yeah, it was impressive to say the least that he did that. Yeah, what's going on in his brain? <laughs> I don't know. He really doesn't like himself. 
should we take another break? Sure. All right, let's take another break, and then we will uh, do the very unlikely thing where and Josh and I will uh, talk about how to train for a triathlon right after this. <laughs> When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. Okay, Chuck, we should probably qualify this with saying, like, Do we we're going to tell you how to train <laughs> from stuff we've read about training, not from any life experience. No. Uh, if you're going to train, and we t- did the same thing in the marathons mm-hmm. uh, podcast. We are not experts, but here's what they say. Experts do say. Sure. Uh, if you're going to train for a triathlon, especially an Ironman, uh, you're going to need to take your time if you've never done it. It could be an entire year of training if you're new to this kind of stuff. Right. And they say generally, obviously, you need to really build your endurance up, not worry about your speed yet. Yes. Well, that's a – that's yes. Yeah, that's just point one is you're training for endurance. You're training to increase what's called your VO2 max, That's which right. is the amount of oxygen you can take in and, and your body use to burn fuel. Right. You're also going to need to rest, uh, even though you really, really want to do this and you're super fired up to train. If you don't, you, you got to rest and give your body a chance to recover. Right. That's a big one. I think that that's just like your body's going to tell you to do that regardless. They say train to your weakness. So that was surprising to me, but it makes sense when you think about it. Yeah, like if you're if you run marathons or long distance uh, bike races, and you're used to that and you're good at that, and you think, hey, I want to add these other two things, then maybe work on those other two things a little bit more, at least in the earlier part of your training. Right, but as you get a little closer to time, you want to go back to your strength and, and remember to boost that up again. Yeah, you can't forget about running that twenty six miles. Right. Oh, I haven't done a marathon in over a year. I've just been biking and swimming, and now it's time to run a marathon after biking and swimming. That's not a situation you want to be in. That's right. Uh, and then, I mean, these last ones are kind of kind of dumb and boring. <laughs> well, no, no more dumb and boring than us. 
I guess this makes sense. Uh, use the equipment that you're going to use at the event. So, like, right. don't switch bikes before. No. Or, or for God's sakes, don't switch out your Speedo. <laughs> right. You want to wear your lucky Speedo that you haven't washed all year. That's right. Um, so that makes sense. Uh, also, this is a Grabster article, we should say, and Ed makes a pretty good point. Like, you need to train just to be able to start training for the Ironman. Yeah. Like this is this is not it's not something you just start where you go from like couch to Iron Man. There's that doesn't exist. There's no such thing. You want to like start to get in shape first, and then you can start training for the Iron Man. And he makes a pretty good point, and I think it's worth saying here. Um, talk to a doctor first, especially if you're not in the best shape or you know you have an existing medical condition, because a lot of people don't realize this. Like, yes, it's crazy what the body goes through, and that you know these are amazing feats of endurance, but it's possible there is some biology or biological science that says, uh, actually, if you're engaging in endurance sports, over time, you're actually more likely to do things like die of a heart attack or get um, pancreatic cancer than somebody who doesn't participate in endurance sports. And science is a little bit confounded by this. Yeah, there was one study out of the University of Toronto that said endurance athletes are three to five times likelier to experience atrial fibrillation. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one out of Norway, which is probably what you were talking about, Yeah, that says you're two times uh, at the risk of developing pancreatic cancer. That's, I mean, twice as likely. Yeah, I mean, they're saying they think what happens is, that, and they did blood tests to people, um, mm-hmm. like at the beginnings and during the middle and at the end, and they said they think your body goes into sort of a temporary state of immunosuppression. Right. And that if you just, if you keep doing this over and over, it could have an overall cumulative effect. Yeah, because your inflammation is so set off because your body's like, what is going on? Um, their inflammation markers from one test I saw are up like 250% yeah. over just normal resting rate. And they think that your immune system stands back because if it over if it tried to deal with all of the different inflammation going on, it would overexert itself and you'd be toast in a different way. So they think that all of this damage from inflammation and then a lowered immune response to the inflammation creates these prolonged problems yeah. that, that only endurance athletes can can experience. Have you heard of doubling? No. So there are endurance athletes that practice doubling and there's specifically um, people who do do. It's called the double Boston, which is they get up mm-hmm. in the middle of the night and they run the Boston Marathon in reverse, right? And then f- stop at the finish at stop at finish at the start line, right? And then run the the regular marathon. I actually have, and I think um, I ran across that as well. And I think we should do like an episode on ultra thons. Or ultra marathons, because there are some crazy stuff that goes into that, too. Oh, yeah, like, you know, let's run 120 miles through the, through the desert. Right. <laughs> Which is, that's a terrible idea, but people do it, and I think it's worth talking about. Yeah, people used to do that in biblical days to deliver messages of war. Sure. But, like... <laughs> not for fun. Yeah, not for fun. And they would always drop dead upon delivering the message, it seems right. like. They'd go, it's... And then fall over dead, and somebody else would say, Monty Python's Flying Circus. Message for you, sir. Uh, So there are no statistics from the USAT, um, but Ed picked out a a 16-year-old statistic from the Lake Placid Ironman. (laughs) 
and said that this was an, a, a low number of injuries uh, where they sent 14 people to the hospital mm-hmm. from everything from just standard injuries to your body to obviously heat exhaustion and dehydration, stuff like that. Yep. And like even when you're when you complete this without injuries and without collapsing before the finish line or whatever, what you're putting your body through is just astounding. Um, you burn something like about six thousand calories throughout the day of competing in this Ironman competition. Yeah, and um, you'll replenish a lot of it from like sports drinks and energy drinks and stuff, but you lose about twenty pounds of water weight. Wow. About nine kilograms of water weight during the the course of running and or competing in an Ironman. Amazing. It, it is literally amazing that that happens to the human body and that people do that on purpose. And that there are people out there who have trained at this so long and have built up their endurance so much that they can overcome their body's normal biological responses to slowing down, to mm-hmm. sending cramps to the muscles, to basically keep your motor functioning from from going forward as much as you wanted to. They can overcome this stuff, yeah. but sometimes to their own detriment, which results in collapsing and things like that. Well, we mentioned earlier the, uh, the paltry little Olympic triathlon, <laughs> and, and we're, we're kidding, but when you look at the distances, it is not close to an Ironman. Mm-hmm. It is a a uh, 0.93 mile swim. One and a half kilometers. Yeah, which is, I guess, why they settled on that. Because I was like, what a weird... <laughs> right. Why not just go a mile? But they're... What's this weird imperial <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then that's followed by a 24.86 mile, 40 kilometer bike ride. Okay. And then only a 6.21 or a 10 kilometer run. Right, which is, again, I could do that. I mean, that's 20 miles shorter on the run side. Yeah. And 80 you know, close to 80 miles shorter, or, yeah, a little more, actually, on the on the bike side. Mm-hmm. And then about a little less than half on the swim side. Right, which, again, is why people say, like, the Ironman itself is just the endurance sport of endurance sports. And the Ironman in Hawaii, in particular, is, like, the pinnacle of it. So if you complete the Ironman, especially if you win the Ironman championship in Hawaii, you're you're as bad as they come. Yeah, I like the sprint one though. The sprint triathlon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a depending on which one it is, either uh, like anywhere from point three to one miles in the water, right. uh, eight to twenty five miles on a bike, and then uh, one and a half to five miles running. But you are all out one hundred percent full tilt the whole time. Right. This uh, is that's nice. Amazing. This is like something that um, an elementary school could do on field day <laughs> or something. You know, remember those? It def- yeah, I love field day, but it definitely reeks of something like an eleven-year-old makes up. <laughs> right. right but there's no tree climbing involved. Right, and if somebody touches you, you have to freeze until somebody else comes along and touches you again. <laughs> oh, I love field day. Yep. So but much fun. looking back, I have no idea what that was for. Was it just a teacher free day or something, or what was the point? No, it was, uh, I, I think, your own little Olympics to celebrate sport and introduce kids to different uh, to different sports. I got you. Okay. Right. <laughs> it was school. I was like, what's your angle here? What's what's really going on? <laughs> you, were a, you had a sit-in that day? <laughs> yeah, I did. I protested. <laughs> you sat in your potato sack by yourself. <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> that my mom made me wear. <laughs> so, um, we talked about Julie Moss, like over the years have been some people who have kind of risen to the, to the cream of the crop from the Ironman triathlon. And Julie Moss was definitely the first, but there've been others too. Um, there was a, uh, 
pair of people, a, a man and a woman, who were kind of known as like the the best of the best for a while. The guy um, was named uh, Luke von Leard. Yeah. I believe. I think I said that right. He held the course record for a while at Kona at eight minutes or eight hours, four minutes and eight seconds, which he set in 1996. But that guy that I've, I spoke about earlier, Jan Frodeno, mm-hmm. he's just like, he's as good as they come as far as male triathletes go. He currently holds the course record that I believe he just set like a week ago. In October 2019, seven hours, 51 minutes, and 13 seconds. Wow, so sub eight hours. Yep. There's another woman competing right now who is um, just the best of the best. I don't know if she's the all-time best. I think that still is held by Paula Newby Frazier. But um, her name is Daniela Liff, L-Y-F. Mm-hmm. She's a German, too. She holds the Kona course record now at 8 hours, 26 minutes, and 18 seconds. She said that in 2018. I can't even lay around and watch movies for 8 hours. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah, I think that's part of this, too, is having the, the mental um, stamina to, to stave off, you know, that voice in your head that's like, stop, stop, go eat a hot dog, stop, <laughs> stop. Uh, there's a gentleman named uh, Mark with a C, uh, Hermans. And he is a wheelchair athlete who has uh, completed several Ironmans. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a nun in her 70s, Sister Madonna Booter, Mm -hmm. who every year that she competes, they have to create a new age group, which is amazing. Right. Did you look her up? Uh, No, I didn't. Oh, man. She's a total B.A. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) So she's still competing? Because this is an old article. Well, I don't know if she is now, but I just looked up. Uh, looked up photos of her in competition. Yeah, so she was competing at age 75, right? Yeah, but there's a man named Jim Ward who competed into his 80s. Wow. And I think he uh, was not finishing the races by that point, but he did complete the race at age 77. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, And you mentioned a a father-son team, Team Hoyt. Yeah, man, Team Hoyt. So the dad, Dick Hoyt, um, is charged with assisting his son, Rick Hoyt, who has cerebral palsy, through the Iron Man and has done this more than once. Yeah, so Rick uh, was uh, born with brain damage uh, because of a problem at birth, and he can't walk or talk, but uh, he has a communication device where he was able at one point to communicate that he loves sports, and a schoolmate of his was paralyzed in an accident, and Uh Rick said, Dad, can we run a 5K benefit race for my friend? They did that uh, with Dick pushing Rick in a wheelchair and then said, let's just keep the party going and moved up to marathons and eventually triathlons. Yep. That's pretty impressive. You remember um, in our cerebral palsy episode, we talked about Kyle Pease. Uh-huh. Um, he's, uh, he's from Atlanta. He's one of our listeners and fan. He and his brother Brent have competed in Ironman competitions too. Oh, wow. I think they competed at the championship as well. Amazing. Yep. Yeah, it's you should uh, check out pictures of Team Hoyt because um, the son rides in a raft while dad tows him in the water mm-hmm. uh, and then rides a bike with the uh, seat up front for Rick. And it's just amazing. And then pushes him in a wheelchair for the for the running leg. Yep. Pretty great stuff, man. Yeah. I can't imagine doing it myself, but also doing it, you know, with your son who has cerebral palsy. It's got a I mean, that's just amazing. Although I'll bet you have like a, just this like built-in source of inspiration every time you start to get tired. Like, I better keep going. Totally. 
You know? Yeah, very inspiring. Which actually, now that I mentioned, that's kind of cheating. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I got a couple other things. All right. Um, Chris Lee, very famously, I think they made like a Gatorade commercial out of it. Uh, in the 1997 Kona Championship, um, collapsed right before the, the finish line. Had to have emergency surgery to remove half of his colon oh, because boy. it had become so oxygen starved during the race that it died. Wow. Okay. That's a big deal to have happen to you while you're in the Ironman race. And then there was also some other famous um, uh, collapsing and crawling. Um, you really into those, huh? That's just amazing <laughs> that people not only collapse, especially when you understand what's going on in their body, um, but then the fact that they pick themselves up and keep going or yeah. crawl. Um, Shan, I think Shan or Sean Welch, uh, S-I-A-N, I can't remember the Gaelic pronunciation, and Wendy Ingram were uh, both women competing in the Ironman. I can't remember what year, but they came in fifth place and fourth place, respectively, um, and they crawled. They were crawling, like competing against one another, crawling over the fi- to the finish line. Wow. It's really something to see. As a matter of fact, let's all go watch those things now. <laughs> you know what I like is when the uh, you see those things where the person is there's one person crawling, and the person can win, but they go back and they pick that person up and they cross the finish line together. Yeah, nothing better. No, there really isn't. Um, one other thing, Chuck, and there's a ongoing dispute among marathoners and Ironman competitors over which is harder. And a lot of people say, no, a marathon is way harder because you're competing flat out the whole time. Ironman is more about endurance. And Ironman's like, they, they're like, you clearly have never been in an Ironman. So I looked, and I think I've settled this once and for all. Oh, that, yeah? Okay, the average finisher in a marathon, just a marathon, in the United States, I think a year or two ago, was four hours and 35 minutes. Okay. Okay? So that's, that's pretty good. It's a great time. I would love to have that. In an Ironman, the average time to finish the marathon section was four hours and 54 minutes, less than 20 minutes longer. And this is on top of already having done the swim leg and the bike ride leg. So I think that definitively proves that the Ironman is tougher because most people are still running flat out in the marathon portion on top of having already done the swimming and the biking. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not even a debate. I didn't even need those numbers. Well, some people did, and now they've been swayed, and they'll never open their mouths about it again. Good. Uh, If you want to know more about the Ironman, go out and start training. You could also do worse than going and reading this article on How Stuff Works by our dear friend Ed Grabanowski. Agreed. Since I said Grabanowski, it's time for listener mail. Uh, This is from our our new friend Betty. Uh, Betty says this, From the time I was introduced to your show, I've been listening and trying to catch up on as many of your previous shows as possible. Uh, I often make uh, learning uh, with personal connections, but hesitate to pest you about all of my thoughts. Recently, though, I completed uh, a couple that convinced me it was time to write in, specifically the Navajo Code Talkers. I wondered if you knew that another group contributed in a somewhat similar way, Louisiana Cajuns, who, like the Navajo, were not allowed to speak French on school grounds, served in World War II as interpreters, uh, some maybe even as spies. A friend of mine shared with me that his dad went ashore at Normandy acting as an interpreter, and this is the first time I had heard of that. Wow. Uh, Also, when you mentioned the Navajo influence at Guadalcanal, I wondered if you had ever done a segment on the Battle of Sabo Sound, the first ever nighttime naval battle. Uh, In that battle, my father's ship and many others went down because of a sly 
attack from the Japanese and a series of communication errors. It was quite a debacle. Wow. Uh, keep up the great work, guys. My phone travels with me all day, and I'll be listening almost all of my waking hours trying to catch up. And that is from Betty. Thanks a lot, Betty. Good luck with catching up. Thanks for that awesome email. One of the better stories I've heard that I didn't know about already. Yeah, we'll look into the uh, Cajun thing for maybe a short stuff. Yep. Uh, if you want to suggest a short stuff or a topic idea or anything like that, you can go to stuffyoushouldknow.com and check out our social links and get in touch with us that way. Or you can send us an email, like Betty did, to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Childproofing people's homes is hard, but Duracell is making it just a bit simpler. Not only are they committed to educating parents, caregivers, and medical professionals about the importance of battery safety, they make the only lithium coin batteries with a non-toxic bitter coating to help discourage children from swallowing them. Duracell even features child-secure packaging designed to avoid accidental opening. Learn more at Duracell.com slash power safely. Available on 2032, 2025, and 2016 sizes.